0: is the beginning of a series that I've, I've, i've sort of begun um and it and it started it seeds started in this idea what if there are some things that are in the bible that we ignore not because we want to ignore them but because we think they're not for us what if there's some things in there that are actually for us maybe god included them there but we totally ignore them because we think it's for somebody else I mean, it could be happen like this when you sit in. I've, I've had many people after a message come to me and say, oh, pastor, so, thank you so much for your sermon. I wish so-and-so was here to hear that. And I'm thinking, I wish you listened to that because it's probably for you, right? You know, we, we're thinking about someone else. So, so here's what happens to us. We look at what Jesus, I began to look, well, what does Jesus say? Maybe there's some things in there that he says to me that I'm not listening to. And I began to look at the words of Jesus to the religious leaders. And he would say things to the religious leaders like, um, you brood of vipers, you, you, you brood of snakes, you know? You, you, what do you, who, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, you know? Or he'd say something like, um, you uh, religious leaders, you're just like a tomb on the outside, nice and polished, but on the inside, just rotting corpse and dead and bones, right? That's how he would speak to them. And the good thing about us as good Christians, we'd read this and we'd go, you're right, Jesus, you tell them. Those religious leaders, they should listen to you because they're nasty people. <laughs> you know, they're terrible people. we just—we got to get them. We've got to tell them. And, 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 you know, we're sort of like, Jesus is my hero, right? Because Jesus told them a thing or two and they should listen to him. But, but what if Jesus was talking to you and me? What if actually he wanted us to hear those words and we just skipped over them? I began to think about this. What if, actually I sk- what, if what if there's some truth in there for me and I've ignored them because I think it's for them? And that's the truth about life. So I began to look at this and I thought, well, I'm going to read the Gospels and I'm going to look at the words of Jesus and I'm going to see, are there some things that Jesus said to religious leaders that actually, for me, right? And so I began to do that. But as I began to do that, I realized that actually there are some things Jesus did that I should pay attention to as well. Maybe there's some some things that Jesus did that could speak to religious leaders, right? Maybe also, there are some things that he said that wasn't sort of specifically addressed to you know, the religious leader, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the temple rulers, you know, the religious leaders. Maybe he just said some things and if we took them to religious leaders, we might learn a thing or two, right? So I began to look at the scriptures. I guess this for me will probably be a long series. In the end, a, a series that will last probably you know, at least a year. It, maybe it's a lifetime. You know uh, The bottom line is, this is a question that uh, we, we find perhaps difficult. The tricky part of this is we've spent all our life thinking that Jesus was speaking to somebody else. But what if we've become the very religious leaders that we think Jesus is talking to somebody else, right? Maybe we've become that's that religious leader. Now, I know you're sitting back now and going, well, I'm not a minister in the church and you know, I'm not a religious leader. I'm not a priest or a pope or a, uh, you know, a pastor or a you know, uh, I'm not an administrator in the church. So, so obviously this isn't for me, right? But, but I wonder if actually you are a spiritual leader from this point of view. Have you ever thought about how the church should run? Have you ever thought, boy, if they sang that song again, I'm going to leave this church. Because that's not how you do Christianity. Those people that wrote those songs, they're all wrong. I'll tell you a thing about how church ought to run. Let me tell you some things about how this should be and so you have a little say. Because who's ever been a backseat driver here? Anybody? Who's ever had a backseat driver in your car? Anybody? Yeah, right. So so the trouble is in the church, we have exactly the same thing, right? We have front seat drivers and backseat drivers. And what happens to us in the church often is when we read a passage like Jesus speaking to the religious leaders, we'll go, well, that's for those religious leaders, those Pharisees and Sadducees. But just maybe you're a wannabe religious leader too because you have an opinion about how the church ought to work. You have an opinion how what ought to happen and you're in the backseat going, turn left, for goodness sake. Don't you know how to use a blinker? You know? And you do this to the pastor. Pastor for good little talk later. Pastor, I'd like to have a chat with you about your blinkers. Because <laughs> you obviously don't know how to drive. Oh, I don't know. I think we want to be spiritual leaders. So I've changed it from religious leaders. I, I originally titled this What Jesus would say to religious leaders, but I know what happens then is you're all gonna shut your ears and not listen because it's not for you, right? So let's change it to spiritual leaders, wanna be spiritual leaders, front seat drivers and back seat drivers. Maybe some things that we need to talk about that God wants us to know, right? So I started where you should start, which is probably at the beginning. And given that I was only looking at Jesus and the words of Jesus, because I thought there's some things that Jesus said to religious leaders, what do you say? Well, then I'm stuck in the Gospels. And if you know your Bible, you know there's only four of them. And if you know your Bible, the first one is Matthew. So let's start at the start. Now, some will say, well, Mark is the first one because it was written earlier. I get all that. But the first one in the Bible is Matthew. So I started there begin began to read that. I come to chapter three. The later part of chapter three, we start talking about Jesus in his ministry. What happens in chapter three, the last part of chapter three? It is the baptism of Jesus. Good place to start, right? Jesus starts his ministry. And then straight after that, Jesus is led by the devil, by the Holy Spirit, to be tempted by the devil, and that's So that's chapter four. So what I want to do today is I want to talk to you about some things uh, that come from that early part of Jesus' life in ministry, taking that theme that maybe God, God's got something to say to spiritual leaders, and he's going to say it through these things. So I've entitled this message, actually, it's called Start Here. Because as, if this is going to be a series, well, this is the starting point, right? So let's start here. And, and in order to do this idea of, of let's start here, I've discovered in these the last part of chapter three and the early parts of chapter four, I've actually discovered four principles for spiritual leaders. These are four principles that every spiritual leader must face. There are four tests that you must pass to be a spiritual leader. Now, this doesn't mean you can't be a leader and you can't lead something in church. In fact, you could easily be a pastor of a very large church and have missed these four tests. My point of talking about these four tests is these four tests are if you wanna be a spiritual leader. I didn't say if you want to be a leader. I didn't say if you want to have something about the church. I just These four tests, I feel like, are fundamental to spiritual leadership on the scale that Jesus exemplified in his life. And these four tests are the kind of tests that if you, if you pass them, there's a great success in your life spiritually. If you fail them, you'll actually miss out on some of what I think God wants for us as a spiritual leader. And so these four tests. The first one, I've entitled as The Identity Test. Now, this comes from that story. The basic idea of this is that we don't receive our our identity by the things that we've done. We receive our identity by who God says we are. We don't become somebody by the things we've done. We become somebody by who God says we are. So now, unfortunately, we're human beings. And as human beings, this is exactly how we define ourselves. We define ourselves by what we do, right? The very introduction that you received today about me is about what I've done or what I'm doing. So, you know, yes, uh, you know, I'm, I'm the district superintendent in New South Wales. Yes, I'm the assistant dis- national superintendent. I assist Rex across the national church. Yes, I pastor a church in a local, a local church. And yes, I lecture at, at Excelsior College in the area of integrative studies, in the area of those who are studying for... Um, They study for music, drama, education, counselling, the arts, various things like that, business as well. And I teach them about what does it mean to live the Christian life in the real world. Well, see, that's what I do. But is that who I am? Not at all. And I want to show you from the Scriptures. This is one of the great struggles we have as Christian leaders. And what about this? What about if these things that are listed here about baptism and about the temptation of Jesus, what if they're not just for Jesus? No, we've read this and we've gone, yeah, Jesus, you tell those religious people, that's for them. But what if this was, we also say the same thing about Jesus. Well, it was right that Jesus should be baptized by John to fulfill all righteousness. So it says in the book, right, in Matthew. And we also say, well, you know, if he was going to be the son of God and he really did come down from heaven and he said he was going to be the son of God, then it's probably right that he should be led into the desert and that he should be tempted because the bottom line there is we really want to know if he is the son of God and if he passes our test, well, we're pretty sure. But what if Jesus had all that happened to show you that this is the right path for anyone who wants to serve wholeheartedly the maker of heaven and earth? What if he's saying, do this? Well, I was challenged recently that, you know, we often get to the, the great commandment. We so say, Jesus said, the great commandment is to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And we stop there. I've got a Romanian Orthodox uh, priest. He's a proto-presbyter in the Romanian Orthodox Church. We hire our church out to them. I've become great friends with them. And one day he said, he said, that's not the final command. Now I'm thinking, well, you're a heretic then, aren't you? He said, no, the final command Jesus said just before he was crucified. He said, i give you a new command. This is to love everyone the same way I've loved you. Well, this Now makes it simpler, right? Follow my example is what he said. See, for three years, I've lived this in front of you. For three years, I've shown you how it works. For three years, I've modeled this for you. Now, yes, we could talk about the Old Testament. Yes, we could talk about the prophets. Yes, we could talk about the law. But let's make it real simple. Just do what I've done. Just follow me. If you make that priority, I've shown you the Father. You know what he's like. I've shown you how to be human, the truly human. I've shown you what it means to dwell amongst the people. Follow this example. Well, if that's the case, then here's an example. And Jesus came firstly to his baptism. And in this is the identity test. And what happens though in in the church is we get our identity by the things we've done. So maybe what we've done is we built a big church. Maybe what we've done is we've had a CD. Maybe what we did is we wrote a book. Maybe we finally arrived because someone told us, you're doing great. But actually, that's the world's way of measuring identity. But what Jesus says, I think, is uh, a paramount, in, and that is that your identity doesn't come from this. So I'll get to that in a minute. But what I want to say here is this idea that if you don't start at this point of submitting yourself to the Father, I think what Jesus did. He came to John and he said, I'm willing to do whatever is to fulfill righteousness, to fulfill, what's, to fulfill what's complete, to do the right thing. And that right thing for Jesus was to submit to the will of the Father, to let his life be laid down, to be filled with the Holy Spirit before he started anything for the kingdom, right? And for each of us as leaders or spiritual leaders or wannabe backseat drivers, are you willing to lay it down? Your agenda, your way, your purpose, that song you hate, the way the chairs are arranged, how loud the music is. Are you willing to let it go? Are you willing to ask God this question? What is it you want to do? I'll do your will. I'll do your way. It's costly. Jesus got to that point. It's the point that all of us must go. And here's the clincher. I reckon if we get to that point, where we submit ourselves to the Father and to His will, it actually doesn't matter what other people think of you. It doesn't it doesn't matter how they think about you. It Doesn't matter whether they think you're a success or not. It Doesn't matter how they measure it. And they could look at it and say, "Well, well, Lex, you're a failure. You went you moved from a church of a couple of hundred people to a church of seven. It's still seven. You've been there three years. What the heck are you doing? You're a failure." Or you could say, well, do you know me? Do you know my heart? Well, I want you to know something about me and my heart's committed to God no matter what. I, I'm willing to pay the price, whatever that price. Guess what? I don't think God's looking at the number. He's looking at the heart, right? He's looking at your heart even now. You don't, have to have, you don't get brownie points by God by how big your church is. You get brownie points by, for God by how submitted you are to his will. Now that may come. That's not the point. The point is, be submitted to his will, do what he wants. And you know what? I know you don't have to worry about what people think about you because that's what it says here in the scriptures. That whole baptism thing, the Holy Spirit descends like a dove, and um, God says something from heaven, which is very significant. He says, This is my son, in whom I'm well pleased. Right? So here's the question for you. Uh, You've been around for a while in the church, you want to think. Here's the question for you What had Jesus done? He's come to his baptism. What had he done? Pretty much nothing. Now, of course, we could say, yes, he was a good boy. He probably raised a bird from the dead. I don't know. So it says on the Quran, it does say in the Quran that Jesus did that, right? Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. I don't know. The point is, we don't really know. We do know that at, at, at about 11 or 12, he went to the temple. He was very clever. He spoke some words. The, the teachers of the law were amazed. But when he came to his baptism, what ministry had he done? And the answer is none, none in that official sense. So he hadn't been to the cross. He hadn't died on the cross. He hadn't been raised from the dead. He hadn't preached any messages. He hadn't got any converts. He didn't have any disciples. And apparently God was pleased with him. What was he pleased about? He was pleased about the fact that he was a son of God, that he was pleased about the fact that he submitted to the Father. He was pleased about the fact that they were connected. The Holy Spirit was in him. He was pleased about that. And and the truth is the same for you and me. God looks at us and He looks for this one thing. Are you submitted to the will of the Father? Are you in the kingdom? Are you a child of God? Are you a son or a daughter of God? Because if you are, listen to these words very carefully, God would speak to you from heaven and He would say this, you are my son, you are my daughter, in you I am well pleased. It's not what you've done. It's who you are it's fundamental to christianity it's christianity 101 but the problem is christianity has twisted this into what you do yes you have to do no point being a son of child of God, you know child of god if you're not going to do something but the reality is it doesn't start there it doesn't that's not how you get there you get there by the narrow gate the child be the child of god that's the identity test it's it's a tough test because that's not how we generally think about our identity. And does God do things to us? Yes, he does. Does he take you places? Yes, he does. You know, there are there times when, you know, uh, the world looks at it and goes, that's a success. Yes, but never get trapped into this idea that that's the measure because it's not. So that's the identity test. And it's a test that every spiritual leader must go through because if your identity is made up in who you are, then you're missing the point. You may be able to do stuff, but do you really know what it means to be a spiritual leader? second, I call it the sustenance test. And the idea of sustenance is how you get your energy, you know, what feeds you. Now, I'm not talking what feeds you physically, I'm talking what feeds you spiritually. What gives you sustenance spiritually? What keeps you going? You all know what it's like, it's getting late, it's almost 12 o'clock. Some of you, have had breakfast early at six because you get up before the sun gets up. I don't know how you do it, but there you are. I didn't, I only found out the other day there's a 6 a.m. as well as a 6 p.m. I didn't know that, right, you know? I don't don't mind staying up late, but the early bit doesn't work. So when some of you got up early, you're feeling hungry. How do you solve the hunger, right? You got to get something to eat. You got to get some sustenance, right? So here's the thing. If I flip that on head, ask you this question, how do you get spiritual sustenance? Well, you'd probably say, well, you read your Bible. Yeah, that's true, you do. But really, is that how you get spiritual sustenance? Well, here's, here's what I think the temptation for us is this. Our temptation is to do exactly what happened to Jesus. He was in the desert, and guess what? He was hungry. And the Satan said to him, look, some stones. Turn them into bread. That'll fix the hunger. And Jesus said, well, no, that's not how you fix the hunger. The only way you fix the hunger is by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He said, man doesn't live by bread alone but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, here's where it gets hard for us. How many times have you measured your life based on God showing up in your life? How many times have you said, hooray, I was praying for that and I got that job. And you come to church and you go, God, you're so awesome. Look, you gave me the job. And so you get your sustenance from the things he did for you when that's nice, but what happens if you didn't get the job? Well, you come to church and you go, God hasn't shown up for me. Can't believe it. I've asked him for stuff and he hasn't done it. Because your measure of God showing up, sadly, it happened to me. It happens to me. I measure God based on the thing that he did for me when actually Jesus tells us very clearly, it's not, you don't get fed by the thing that I did for you. You get by who, what I say makes the difference, right? Or should. We've actually turned God into a vending machine, right? We say, God, give me stuff. Now, I don't know if you've read the Bible at all, but you've read the verses that say Jesus is the King of Kings, right? You've read that one. Right, why is it that we go to him and tell him what to do? I mean, if he's the king of kings, right? You would think that would it would be odd to go to Queen, Queen Elizabeth in, in England and say to her, oh, by the way, can you fix my laundry because I haven't washed it today? She'd go, uh, sorry, that's not my job, right? Or we go to her and say, oh, by the way, um, you know, can you, can you, you know, do, mow my lawn for me, right? We do that. We do that to God all the time. We say, God, uh, since you... Since you're helping me out and you're doing stuff for me, here's a list. Then you can go to a perimony. I'm not dispermony. I think we should pray. We need to pray for stuff. We need to pray for people hurting. We ask God to do things totally for that. But sometimes that's all we do. God, do this for me. And it's almost like we switch roles with God. We start telling him what to do. Instead, what should be happening is you should be saying, actually, here's what to do. Here's the things I want you to do. In fact, we should go to him and say, what do you want to do? And he says, I want you to do this. And you go, okay, I'll do that. Instead, we go, do this and do it now. In fact, if you could do it by Wednesday, I'll be real happy. Turns out he goes, but but I've got some things I'd like you to do. One might be to learn a lesson. One might be to, to grow, to develop, to become the person I'm calling you to be. We've turned it around and we've made it well, I'm not happy unless you do what I want. I don't get my sustenance unless you show up. I don't get my sustenance until I get what I want. And he's going, that's not how it works. You get your sustenance. If you really want to be a spiritual leader, don't go looking around for the stuff God did. Celebrate that, praise Him for that, but you're looking for what He says because you can always trust what He says. You can always believe what He says. Because if you're going to believe that statement that says, you're a son of God in whom I'm well pleased, then you're going to have to believe other things he says. That's the problem with us in the churches. We don't always believe what he tells us. You know, we don't always agree with it. We kind of discount it. Yeah, 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 but if you just help me win the lotto, you know, we pray to money all the time. Money, bless me. Money, help me. Money, pay my bills. And he's saying, what about me? (laughs) So it's a hard one, isn't it? Because it's, it's what brings us our, our livelihood, What's what brings us our strength, it's what gets us where we need to go. You see, this is the thing that, that's hard for us because, in the end, you can take a hymn that we love to sing. This hymn is um, It Is Well With My Soul. It starts like this when, when peace, like a river, attends my way. In other words, when everything's going great. And then he goes, Or when sorrows, like sea billows, roll. In other words, when things are going bad and then the author writes whatever my lot this way or that God has taught me to say what? it is well with my soul so what he's telling you is something very profound and I think we've missed it in the church we say what a wonderful song but we've missed the truth that's here and that's this the condition of your soul is not dependent on the things you have that's not how it works and you know this because this guy wrote it. He, was, he had many businesses in Chicago before the great Chicago fire. And the fire came through and through, the, through the whole city and destroyed all of his businesses. He lost everything. So he sent his family on a holiday. Of course, back then, the ship, they went back to England. On the way back to England, there was a shipwreck. The ship sunk. And his kids were killed. And the only person that survived was his wife, because he didn't know about it until later because You know, we didn't have SMS back then or anything like that, right? So I had to send a letter, found out later. No one saved, just me. So here's a guy, he's lost his business, all his wealth and livelihood and his family. And he writes these words. When peace like a river tends my way or when sorrows like sea billows roll, poignant words. Whatever my lot, God has taught me to say it as well with my soul because there's something about sustenance, right? That doesn't come from things working out for you. It just comes from who God is and what He says. Now, I know that's hard. This is not a defeatist sermon. It's just a reality check, right? God does stuff, good stuff, and allows stuff that we just can't fathom. That's not my point today. My point today is that our soul condition should not be based on this. I think that's why There's that great scripture where we talk about Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, builds a big big, um, statue of himself. People have to bow down to it whenever they hear the musical instruments. And these uh, three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they say, "Well, King, you know, oh, live forever, King, whatever, you know, we're not going to bow down to your altar. We're not going to bow down to your idol. Going to throw you in the fire, then? Okay, throw us in the fire, right?" Because God's going to rescue us. But there's something else there. What does it say? Does anyone know? But even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down to your altar. In other words, our relationship with God is not dependent on if he shows up the way we expect him to. We fully expect him to we fully expect Him to show up. But even if He doesn't show up, this isn't how we base our faith. We don't base our faith on Him doing what we expect. We base, base our faith on Him being who He says. That's what we base our faith on. That's very profound. It's Christianity at its core. And it's hard because we've built a whole lifestyle based around this idea that God is the person who fixes everything for us, where actually it doesn't always work like that. You know. So uh, this is the hard reality of, of life. Yet... It's the thing that sustains us. It's the thing that keeps us going. And it's the thing that will change your leadership forever. You will literally be one of the most amazing, humble, dedicated leaders in the church in any way, whether back seat or front seat, if you can gather this. Number one, your identity comes, doesn't come from what you do, it comes from who he says you are and your submission to him. It doesn't come from the things he does for you. It comes from your willingness to say, whatever he says, I'm going to believe. And that ties up with the third point, which is this. It's the trust test. And what happens here is the same. It's a temptation of Jesus. You know, the idea is Jesus is standing on the temple. Devil comes to him and says, throw yourself down because the scriptures say, uh, God's going to catch you. It's going to be okay. So we tend to be a bit like this. We tend to be well, you know, God, you show up, we will, we'll, you, know, you can do stuff for us. We tend to be like the, I don't know if you've got um, friends and they, when they had kids, they'd bring the kids along and they say, look, little Johnny can do this trick. You know, raise your hand, Johnny, like that. And you're all going, really? You're making your kids do tricks now? Like, I don't know, I've been guilty of that, perhaps. I can't remember it, but like, we sometimes do this with God. God, can you just do a few tricks for us? Like, you know? And yet the real issue here is trust. It's not about getting God to show up, it's, he does he will. It's his business. It's do you trust him or not? What we end up is we end up a little bit like Gideon. Um, bottom line there is Gideon was told. What was Gideon told? He's hiding in the winepress. He's a little bit afraid. God comes to him and says this. Now, he says, Gideon, mighty warrior. He's going, but I'm hiding in the winepress. What's God said about him? You're a mighty warrior. Just go and take on those Midianites. You can take care of them. He goes, but I can't, right? And then what ends up happening? He goes and he does this. He doesn't trust God. Now we've read this scripture and we often read it like, yeah, Gideon tested God and God showed up. Well, actually, no, Gideon did the wrong thing. He shouldn't have tested God because God already told him it was okay, right? So God said, you're a mighty warrior. I'm gonna take care of it. You can go and take on the Midianites. And, And he didn't trust him. So he decided what he'd do. He would test him. What does Jesus say to the devil when it comes to this? He says, thou shalt not put the Lord your God to the test. So that's why I use the word trust, because when we put him to the test, it's because we're not trusting. We, we don't like to trust. It's hard to trust, right? I've spent, uh, Felicia and I, we've been ministering for many, many, many years. The, lots of things happen where we've had to take risks. We feel like God speaks to us. Actually, what happens to me is God speaks to my wife first. And then I realize that it's God because... I wasn't listening. And, uh, and I know that it's something to listen to. So God speaks to her in a lot of ways with the big things in life and says, I think we should. I think God's saying to do this. And we keep coming to this point again. Can we trust Him? Right? Can we trust Him? right? God called us to Sydney. We're going to go to Sydney. Guess what? We're already in a church, a lovely church, good salary, nice housing, everything being looked after, wonderful people. We literally loved it. God calls us to a church of seven causes us to 1.6 days a week salary. You've got to wonder, can you trust him? Can you trust him? I have to testify, the answer is yes, you can. But it's hard. And we keep going to the, can you trust him? No, we don't think we can this time. Well, then God shows up and you go, we're never going to doubt God again. You know, he helped us. See, we trust him. Look, we, he showed up. But then it comes to the next test and we go, I don't know if God can do that. I'm not sure he can do that. I I, I don't think so, right? Well, actually, this is the test we have. This is the thing we have as Christians. We get ourselves caught up so much in this. First thing we do is we go, well, my identity is made up in the things I do, right? And I'm not willing to submit to God's will. I want to tell him what to do. The second thing that happens is we go, well, my sustenance is made up of the things he does for me. When he doesn't do stuff, I'm pretty mad at him, right? And the third thing that happens is when God says, you can trust me, we go, I'm not sure if we can. Let's test it out. And the truth be known, there are some of you sitting here today, you know God spoke to you more than once about something in your life. And you went, I don't think I can trust you with that one. What? How will I pay the mortgage? How can I afford the car payments? I won't be able to do it. I don't know how to talk in front of people. I couldn't look after the kids at church. I couldn't care for that poor person. I couldn't help that person. They smell. I can't do that. But God spoke to you, but you didn't trust him because you thought, I don't have what it takes. You need to le- we need to learn this as spiritual leaders. If you want to have something to say about how the church works, right, you better get to the point where you trust that God knows what he's talking about, right? And you better be willing to step out and believe that because that's the thing that makes the difference between those that have to work it out themselves and those that have to believe that God can actually do it, right? It's, it's, a, it's a hard one. It's the trust test. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Instead, trust him. Sustenance and trust, they kind of go together, right? You know, because if you don't trust God to sustain you, you're going to try and make your own food. You're going to produce like, if you, if you like, you're going to produce an Ishmael. God says to Abraham, Abraham and I, uh, Sarah, you're going to have a baby. They going, don't think we can. Let's help God out here a little bit. And we produce Ishmael. Bottom line for us, many times in our life, here, what does Gideon do? Goes and gets thirty thousand people. Again, he's saying three times, I think. First time, God comes to him and says, "You're good enough for this." So he goes, "Well, I'll test you. Make this—I forget which way it's around it. Make the fleece wet and the ground dry, and I'll know it's you." Well, that's one. Two, you know, make the the opposite way around, and then I'll, I'll know it's you. Turns out that happened too. And he goes, well, but I'm still not sure I trust you. Let me get 30,000 men, right? And God goes, come on, seriously, get rid of them. You're trying to do it your way again. You're trying to sustain it your way again. Actually, what I want you to do is just trust me. 300 men will do it. And sure, you don't know how to talk properly and you're one of the weakest in the weakest tribe. Great, I don't care. Trust me, I'll do it. And we do this in church. Oh, we won't survive. It'll be too hard. We can't do it. And yet God says, no, trust me. That's the trust test. And the final test is this idea of the reward test. I call it the worship test, the reward test. Again, I haven't really come up with the, the right name for this yet. But there's a couple of things contained in this and it's the story where, Je- where the devil takes Jesus to the high mountain and he shows them all, all, shows them all of the lands. He says, he says to Jesus, you can have all of this if you'll just worship me, just bow down and worship me. And Jesus says these words, worship the Lord your God I only, you know, you only worship God. That's it. And so there's a couple of things contained in here. And it happens to all spiritual leaders or want be spiritual leaders, front seat or back seat drivers. The devil comes to you and he says, I'll give you something. I'll give you accolades. I'll give you a pat on the back. I'll give you credibility. I'll give you everything you want. But what you've forgotten is God already gave you that. The devil's given you something you already got right? You already got God's blessing. He looked at you and said, you're a son and daughter of God. You know, I'm pleased with you. You already got everything you want. And God owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the wealth in every mine. Bottom line here is you don't need any of that stuff. You already got it. He's given you stuff that's not even his to give, right? He's tricking you. He goes, I'll give you things. I'll give you, I'll give you a pat on the back. I'll give you a reward. I'll give you something to make you happy. Bottom line is you already got that. Your, your sustenance comes from God. What he says, your, your identity comes from the fact that he loves you. You can trust him to show up in your life. You don't have to test him. Bottom line is, you don't need this stuff he's offering. What you need is to get your priorities right. And those priorities are to worship God alone. You know, don't worship anything else. Don't worship the church you belong to. Right? Don't worship that. Don't worship the denomination you belong. Who cares, right? Don't worship that. Don't worship the system, the songs, the process, the whatever. Don't worship that. Don't worship the building. Don't worship that. Worship God alone. And if there was no building here and just a tree and you met under that, it'd be okay because God is God and He's not subject to any of that stuff. It's all His anyway. What he wants is your heart. What he wants is your eyes focused on him. That's what he wants. That's what makes the difference between spiritual leaders and leaders. Right? You can have leaders in the church, by the way. Lots of them. Some of them, what Jesus will say at the end times, he'll go, whoa. They'll go, Jesus, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do these things? And he'll go, I don't know that we actually had a good relationship, you and me. This is how you get it, right? You start with the fact that you've got to humbly submit to God's will through the identity that comes in Christ. You've got to get your sustenance from his words alone, nothing else. Sure, celebrate them as they come. You've got to learn to trust him when he speaks to you and go where he wants you to go. And you've got to worship him alone. Don't put anything else in the place. And what's worse is don't take the place of God. Because it'll be very easy for some of us in leadership, which is public, up the front and so on, when someone comes and says to you, you know, you're doing a great job. Oh, that's really great. we well, we just steal a little bit of that glory that's supposed to be from God, right? It's subtle. The heart is desperately wicked. And you know, for some of you, you're backseat drivers. You, you like to be backseat drivers. You like to have your say. You think God's probably smiling at you because you said a few things. But what if he's not? What if he doesn't care about your opinion? What if he actually cares about his and what if you saying, well, yeah, sure, you're worshipping yourself. You put yourself in my position. I, I don't want you there. How about you get on your knees? How about you be humble? What's the way to get where God wants you? He said, I didn't come, right, uh, to, to be served. I came to serve. I came, I gave myself up as a ransom for many. I, um, the, the, the hymn in um, Proverbs, uh, in Proverbs, um, Philippians 2 says, he humbled himself and became obedient to the death, even death on the cross. He emptied himself for the sake of you and me. And we're so busy wanting to take some of that credit to ourselves. That's the worship test or the reward test. We get so sidetracked, it gets hard. But these, again, as I mentioned to you right at the start, these are kind of four tests. I think they're the difference between spiritual leaders and leaders. I think they make the difference between those who are, Truly, kind of see God's point. Look, we all make mistakes. We all, I think, we have to face these tests every other day. You know, like, we've got to keep reminding ourselves no, no, this is not my kingdom, it's His. This is not, I'm not the important person He is. You know, I'm not the one that God should give everything to. I'm the one who should follow Him. I should trust Him. I should listen to Him. This is the key for us all. And I think that the tests that God wants us to go through look, maybe even we could spread it uh, to everybody. Maybe this is actually the test for Christianity, right? It's, it's not our kingdom, it's His. It's not our words, it's His. We're not sustained by what we say, we're sustained, sustained by what He says. You know, we don't take the glory, He does. It's, it's a hard one. Let me finish with a hymn that you, you don't have to sing it, I'm going to read it. It's called Jesus Tempted in the Desert. It says, Jesus tempted in the desert, lonely, Hungry, filled with dread. Use your power, the tempter tells him. Turn those barren rocks to bread. Not by bread alone, he answers, can the human heart be filled. Only by the word that calls us is our deepest hunger stilled. Jesus tempted at the temple high above its ancient walls. Throw yourself from lofty turret. Angels wake to break your fall. Jesus shuns such empty marvels, feats that fickle crowds request. God, whose grace protects, preserves us, we must never vainly test. Jesus tempted on the mountain by the lure of vast domain Fall before me, be my servant. Glory, fame, you're sure to gain. Jesus sees the dazzling vision, turns his eyes another way. God alone deserves our homage. God alone will I obey. When we face temptation's power, lonely, struggling, filled with dread, Christ, who knew the tempter's hour, come and be our living bread. By your grace, protect, preserve us. Lest we fall, your trust betray. Yours above all others' voices, be the word we hear, obey. Let's pray. So God, I pray for us. Uh, I pray for the truth of this message, which is hard. Because, it's hard, because it reminds us of our humanity which at times wants to take over and control things. And this ability to let go and to, to let your truth seep into us, is, it's hard. We, we want to be in control. That's naturally who we are. And so I pray for each of us as we learn how to relinquish our will. We learn how to relinquish our demands. We learn how to relinquish our uh, control and we learn how to relinquish our trust in ourselves and a our desire for our own way God I pray help each of us my prayer is that this is not just a, you know, a wasted kind of time of talking and so I pray for your Holy Spirit to take some small part of this that perhaps is meaningful to us and help us to see what this means in our life and how it can change and transform us So God, for those who are struggling because they don't wanna go through that submission of their will to yours, that idea of truly letting go, I pray for a person who might be here like that today. You're saying, yeah, God, fair enough, but you might ask me to do stuff that I don't wanna do, so I'm not willing yet to let it go. I pray for that person here today and I pray by the power of your spirit that that shackle would be broken in their life, that that chain that's been holding them back would be broken in their life, that they'd be able to rise up to be the person you called them to be, the person you trust them to be, that they would be, allow them to God to be submitted to what you want to do in their life, the purposes you have for their life, the purpose you have for your kingdom, I pray for them. God, for those who are busy telling you how to do things and what you should do in their life, come here, do this, show up, fix this, fix that, help me here, I pray, even though we still pray for those things to happen, that they'd let it go and that they'd get their sustenance from the things you say. Would you help them to open their ears, not just their hands to receive, but their ears to hear the very truth you have for each of them, the truth that they need to hear of how important they are, of their, that their sustenance can come from your words alone. And that somehow, God, that gentle whisper of your voice will be such an energizing thing in our life that we would truly be amazed. And God, then there's those who are busy trying to test you because they don't trust you. God, I pray for those for those today who know you're speaking to them. You've called them to do something and they're still putting out fleeces. It's been 20 years, the same fleece. They're, you keep showing up and they still don't believe you. I pray today will be the day that that particular request will be answered, that they'll let it go, that they'll throw, throw down the, the, the excuses and that they'll trust you to take care of them, that they'll trust that you actually have their best interests in mind, I pray for those people who might be here today on that. And finally, for those of us, God, who who are tempted by the fame and the fortune and the, uh, the things being how we planned them, God, help us to learn that we don't worship those things. We only worship you, that you are the one we have given our life to. You're the one that deserves our praise. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.